So over the last few weeks, you know that we have been uh, doing a kind of a, a, a highlight, or the waypoints, as it were, through the book of Exodus. Uh, it's not been an in-detail chapter by chapter. We've not even stuck to one book as such. Uh, but uh, we, for the last five weeks, been, been looking at it. It's been a very rich experience. And as I've said before, if you've been following this on the podcast, videocast, or if you've been here even, you will know that as it happens, we've been struck by the correlation in some ways uh, between our circumstances and the vision we have at the moment as part of our growing family campaign to uh, obtain one of the uh, um, other warehouses uh, that surround us. Uh, but, but also we've been struck by how, how, how pertinent this, this teaching has been to our ordinary everyday life. Isn't it extraordinary that something that happened, you know, 2,700 years ago and some uh, should be so relevant? And as I said, I think right at the beginning when we launched the series, the thing is that this book, we think we read this book, but actually this book reads us. It knows us. God knows us. He knows what we're like. He knows how we were made. Jesus said he even knows the number of our hair, the hair on our head. I've got a few more, actually. And uh, I hope he's counted those in. But the truth of the matter is that, that the book reads us. And you can go cross-generational. You can go cross-centuries. You can go cross-cultures. But God knows the human heart and all the issues that the children of Israel faced as they, as they became a, a transition from a slave nation into the people of God actually inhabiting the promised land, i.e. Israel as it is these days called. You know, all of that, all the gamuts of that, the highs, the lows, the experiences, the, the great moments, the, the bad moments, all of those are common to the human nature, to human spirit. And so we've learned a lot through it. Well, today, the last of these talks, I think, is called Crossing Jordan. Finally! Great, good. And uh, uh, just a couple of highlights. I'm not going to do an in-depth uh, recap, but a couple of highlights. Things that we've kind of marveled at as we've gone along is, is first of all, how, how, how you know, God provides and preserves us. And how, how God calls us. How, how God uh, invites us to be present with him and, and makes his heart known to us. And then the last couple of weeks, as I've been teaching, um, we, we observe that courage based on faith, courage based on faith is a game changer. And we also said last week that great steps forward, whatever they may be, great steps forwards begin with great steps inward. So every kind of, you know, whether it's a, a plan you may have to, to, you know, to move house and to move into a nicer area, or maybe it's a plan to go to uni and, and do a degree, or maybe it's a new job, a new relationship, you know. All of these kind of plans that we have begin with an inner journey. Can I do it? Is that possible? How would I do it? What would that look like? And the same is true of the spiritual life. It's one thing to have a vision for God. I mean, it says, you know, it's often banded about, the Word of God says, you know, that without vision, the people perish. You know, we are a people who have been saved for a purpose, not just saved to feel comfortable and, oh, good, I've got a ticket to heaven. We are saved for a purpose. And, and, and as we corporately, and it's usually a corporate thing, 
as we corporately discern God's way forward for us, and in the context of that, we find our part in it, which is a personal calling. As we do that, we have to sort of you know, count the cost. Jesus says, you are not worthy of being a follower of me if you're not willing to take up your cross. By that, he meant count the cost of your commitment, and it will cost you. It will. There is no sort of free, free rise in this, I'm afraid. But we, we looked at that and we said, yes, yeah, so, so, you know, as we as a community think about buying the, the, the warehouse across the road or there or there or whatever, but that's the one we'd really like, you know, we have to count the cost of that. And many of us have, have made sacrifices already and a little bit more about that later. But today we're talking about finally crossing Jordan. And so if you've got a Bible or a Blackberry or an iPhone, however you read the Word of God, just follow with me. And, and as with the last two weeks, I'm going to read chunks of Scripture and, and make a little comment on each one. So we begin Joshua chapter 1, and this is the beginning of the crossing the Jordan story. So Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. There is a wonderful transition of leadership here which we could probably spend time on, but I'm not going today. Can I encourage you to read through the book of Exodus and the book of Joshua? Can I also encourage you to read through the, the book of Deuteronomy, which is almost like a personal account, a summary. These books we tend to kind of leave to one side, but there is a rich vein of God's heart and teaching for you in this. So in this, we see that Moses, this great man of God, this unique person, how could he ever be... Um, superseded? How, how could that ministry ever be you know, handed over? In fact, it is in the person of Joshua. And those of you who were paying attention the last couple of weeks will know that Joshua was one of the two spies who right at the beginning went into the promised land and said, we can do it. Ten said, we can't. But Joshua and Caleb, they said, we can do it. And Joshua was one of those. And he went on to be Moses' successor. So this is the book of Joshua, and this is all about Joshua's dealings. And uh, so as they prepare to cross the, the Jordan, uh, we find that, that there is excitement, and there is fear, there's reaction, and there's action, there's a whole, whole gamut of human experience. But God says something very interesting, which we need to take note to Joshua. Three times... In the verses following this little passage I've just introduced this talk with, he says, can anybody tell me? Some of you are going to... Be strong and courageous. Strong, be strong and courageous. Three times God says to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. And at the end of the chapter, it made me laugh this morning. I don't think I'd actually noticed it before, to be perfectly honest, because there are four times in this chapter that... The, the, the phrase, be strong and very courageous, it used. But at the in the last you know, closing verse of this chapter, the people of God say to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. And that just made me chuckle. Everybody's on his back, you know. Why do you think God felt it necessary to say three times to Joshua, be strong and very courageous? Why do you think the people of God said to Joshua, you know, be strong and very courageous? Any, any offers? Because he wasn't feeling very strong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was, 
who knows, he might have been a bit of a wimp, you know, come on, man up, that guy, man up, you know, there was a certain anxiety amongst everyone that he actually might wimp out. But God bless him, he set his heart, and as you read through this book, you do see not just a nation growing in confidence, but you see a man, a leader, a follower of Jesus, a man or a woman, growing in confidence as as they step out in faith and find that God catches them. God is always in that place of faith. That's where you will find him, not hanging back and wondering. That's a lonely place. That's a scary place. It's only as you step out and you find that Jesus actually has gone before. That's where confidence and character and, in fact, gifting is built in that place. Thank you. Uh, maybe the Lord's ringing me to say be strong and very courageous. That would be spooky, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay, right. So there we are. That's the opening thing. Now let's uh, pick it up again in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And, and this is where, having got over the, you know, you be strong and courageous, and this is going to happen, that's going to happen. I want to warn you about this. Finally, they get down to the instructions, crossing the Jordan. And uh, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went up to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Since you have never been this way before, But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, get ready, prepare yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What a thrilling moment. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? That night before when people were trying to settle the kids down, but the kids were all kind of excited and a bit hyper, like waiting for Christmas. And there was a kind of a nervous excitement in the camp. Did anyone get any sleep that night? And as the, the hours of the night sort of you know, weighed heavy on them, they told stories. They cheered one another. They encouraged one another with stories of God's faithfulness in the past. They remembered how grandfather was in Egypt. Because, of course, all that generation that had been brought out of Egypt had died in the desert through their lack of obedience. They'd ended up wandering aimlessly for 40 years. But they told stories of how grandfather and grandmother escaped from Egypt and how God sent plagues upon uh, Pharaoh to soften him up and how finally the day came when they were told, quick, quick, grab everything, grab everything you can, and go, don't delay, go, now, now is the time, go. 400 years of slavery was suddenly like that over, like the Berlin Wall that seemed a permanent fixture, many of us remember that. Suddenly, overnight, we couldn't believe it, it was being torn down, something that had seemed a constant, something that seemed to be a symbol of the division between East and West was gone like that, and everything suddenly you know, was changed. And they told stories that night before they crossed the Jordan of, of how God had led them into the desert and how they'd met at Mount Sinai, and how the earth had shook. And how the glory of God in the form of a fiery cloud had descended upon the top of that mountain. And Moses, yeah, remember Moses. Moses, he went up into the cloud. But he was gone a long time. 
And then we really messed up. And then we started getting distracted. And then we started worshiping the idols that we had secretly and not supposed to have done, carried in our hearts from, from Egypt. We melted down the gold and the jewelry. And, and our, our fathers, our forefathers, they made, they made a golden calf and we danced before it and worshiped it. And God saw. And God was appalled. And then we, we, we survived that by the grace of God. And he gave us his law, which we carry with us now in that chest, in the Ark of the Covenant, in that physical place. We carry the stones that Moses brought down from the mount where God had written on that the Ten Commandments. And this now was, was, was the, the, the place. This, this was indicative of God's presence on earth with us. And how even now we, we knew his presence. And even now God was about to lead us into the the promised land, what was it? What was it they used to say about the promised land? It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Can you imagine the excitement? I don't know about you, but as a kid, I, for some reason, going on holiday was always the most exciting thing in my life. I was excited about Christmas. I was excited about birthdays. But for some reason, going on holiday together was the thing I could not sleep about. I would, I would just keep looking at my alarm clock beside the bed. Is it time to get up yet? You know, I'd have my best clothes. We always used to travel in our best clothes. Best clothes beside the bed. I'd probably polish my shoes three times, but we were ready to go on holiday. One or two are nodding. One or two are thinking, what is he going on about? You know, <laughs> get on with it. I'm just trying to express the excitement. I mean, this is 400 years of slavery, 40 years wandering, and now they're saying tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day. This is an extraordinary thing. Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things for you. But the extraordinary thing, which I hope you didn't miss as I read it, you know, whenever it was, you know, hours ago now, uh, when I read that passage, what is going to happen is that God is going to be before, going before them. God, at the priests, the Ark of the Covenant, the worshippers, the trumpeters, they're going into the Jordan first. And this is our God. I said in a moment, a moment ago, that Jesus is with us. You know, I've got a dear, dear, dear neighbor called Hitesh. He's a lovely Hindu man. I've got Hindus living all around me. A, a Jewish lady behind me and the rest are all Hindus. But Hitesh, I've really hit it off with Hitesh. I never thought of that one before. I've really hit it off with Hitesh. Hitesh is a dear, dear religious man, and he is probably the most religious, devoutly religious person I know. I have a soft spot for him. He has a rare form of leukemia, and I've prayed for him in the street on numerous occasions. And we hail and, uh, and greet one another as brothers. It's extraordinary. He has a, a, a sweet, sweet respect for me because I'm a, a priest and that means something to him. But you know, dear Hitesh, I, I would love to see him set free. I would love to see him set free because you know where, where his heart is. You know where, where his God resides. His God resides in the form of a man, a guru. I can't remember his name, forgive me. Who is alive today. And, and, and is in India. So whenever he can, he saves up and saves up and saves up. And then he flies to India. Usually the family can't go with him. It's just him going. And he goes and spends a week, 10 days on the campus of this guru in India with 
thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of devotees. And, you know, God bless him. You know, I, I wish I had half the zeal that he has. But his God is not here. His God is, is in, in, on another continent. Our God is with us. Our God is with us. Our God is with us. Hitesh was very excited because last year he managed to do pilgrimage and he got to hug the guru. They all lined up and it was a brief hug. And the guru, guru whispered a little sentence in his ear, a little command about his devotions. And that's what he lives on now. He's trying to do that which the guru told him to do. He didn't tell me what it was. It was a secret thing for him. He's trying to do that. So the guru in India has given Hitesh instructions, which Hitesh has brought back to home, and he's trying to live that out. And he's living on that, and who knows, that's what he's going to work with and work on until the next time he can afford to go out there, and he may get a hug then if he's really lucky and maybe told something different. Our God does not say, go and do this, and then we walk out into life and all that that is, and we experience all that life and life has, and we struggle with it, and we wonder about it, and we wish we'd asked a few more questions at the time because it's pretty tough. Our God is with us. Our God is with us. And God doesn't send, he calls. The Lord does, the Lord does send. He says, you know, go into all nations and make disciples of all men. But he says, but know this, I am with you. There is a world of difference between the, the life that you and I take for granted as followers of Jesus and the pure, honest, humble, touching devotion of my neighbor Hitesh. Because our God calls us and goes with us. And so it wasn't a case of Joshua sending all the armies over there and you know, wreaking havoc, and if they were successful, then finally the priests come over and we set up a temple. The Lord went first. God goes before us. God calls us. I have, I have all, you know, coming back to growing family, I have a sense that God is calling us forward, not sending us forward. You know, there, there, are, there is, you know, I walked into, I, I found the fire door open uh, on the building opposite. This was a few weeks ago. Don't tell anyone, it's probably very naughty. The fire door was open. I don't know why it was open. I was half curious. I thought, why is the fire door open? I was a little bit concerned. And I went in there genuinely to see whether anybody was in there up to anything. I thought, I'll ring the agent and tell him that the fire door's open and he's got you know, travelers living inside or you know, I don't know, whatever. I went in there. There was nobody in there. But that's not quite true. There wasn't nobody in there. I felt the presence of God in there. You see, God isn't up here in my words or anything like that saying, look, get yourself sorted out and start giving and start preparing and get over there and I'll catch you up later. God is already there and he's saying, you want to come or are you going to stay behind? Well, for me, that's a no-brainer. If God says to me, do you want to come? I don't want to say to him, well, I've got a couple of oxen I want to try out or there's a, a new wife I want to marry. That's a good one, isn't it, first thing? <laughs> Some of you don't know your Bibles are a bit confused by what I'm just saying, but this is alluding to some teaching of Jesus. You know. The fact of the matter, if God is going, well, we want to, I want to keep up with him. 
Boy, I've tripped over so many times. I've got scratches and scuffs and bruises and brambles because I've been scrabbling after Jesus all my life. I thank God I have been with Jesus and he has been with me, but it has meant that I've had to sometimes run and get a little breathless in my pursuit of him. But he is a God who loves to be found. He's absolutely lousy at hide and seek because he just likes to be found all the time. He is lousy at hide and seek because God just loves to be found. And if you're seeking, Jesus promised, you will find him. So God goes before the children of Israel. What a comfort. But that ain't the end of it. You've got to see what happens next. Picking up the text again, thank you. Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. So the following morning, the day finally comes. The kids are all a bit tired and ratty because they've been up all night. The mums are a bit tired and ratty. The dads are fine because they slept great, you know. (laughs) It ain't true. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood, is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water, the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Excuse me? The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely completed the crossing on dry ground. Glory, hallelujah, let's give the Lord a clap. There is something... There's a symmetry about this I love. What a surprise that was on that day. But there is a symmetry about this I love. And it's actually a symmetry that is commented on and observed in the New Testament. New Testament writers talk about this. You know, the Red Sea parted when the, the Hebrews, as they were then called, fled from Egypt and they crossed over on dry land. They then wander around the desert for 40 years, and then they cross out of this wilderness, this place of death, into the, the land of promise. They crossed the Jordan as they came out of Egypt because the, the Red Sea parted and the Jordan parted. It's just wonderful, a symmetry. Red Sea parts, the Jordan parts, and they cross over. They cross over, a wonderful thing. And can I just say this, almost in parenthesis, I'm excited about our baptisms next week. You know, if you're going to be baptized, well, I'm so thrilled and excited for you. Fliss and I spoke with a, an old neighbor of ours who, who left our uh, road about uh, three or four years ago, and we did everything we could to introduce him to Jesus, and he was very resistant. In fact, he was quite difficult at times, to be perfectly honest. But he was here last night because he moved to uh, Suffolk, Norfolk, somewhere over there, yeah, and, and he started going to the vineyard there. He was going through a tough time, didn't know where to turn, started going to the vineyard. He got, he got saved. He got baptized about two weeks ago. And he was here on the front row last night 
worshipping God. And we sat there two, two rows behind, and it was just amazing to see him worshipping. But you know, that wonderful, that wonderful adventure that so many of us here have been through, where you've passed from darkness into light, and yet, okay, we're blinking in the light. We would love to say things, all things clear, but in fact, the light's so bright, we don't get it all yet, but one day we will. We, you know, we're kind of squinting in the light, but we pass from death to life, from darkness to light. And it's a wonderful thing that you're about to do to get baptized. And for some of you, you, know, you need me to, to invite you because you, you wondered about whether you would and you, or you should. And then Richard invited you just and you wondered a bit about that. Uh, and you're making all sorts of excuses, you know, well, I haven't got a bathing costume, you know. Well, you don't need one. Uh, I've got a lovely knitted pair of Speedos. They will fit you beautifully, you know. <laughs> Put that thought out of your mind. <laughs> You wear clothes, right? Okay. <laughs> Whew, let's get that one clear. But I want to say to you, you know, baptism is one of those oldest and most ancient of Christian traditions. It's not really recorded before Christian times. There is a community called the community of the Essenes, and they are thought, they're pre-Jesus, and they're thought to have baptized. So it wasn't utterly unknown, but when John the Baptist came... Jesus' cousin, baptizing people in the Jordan. That's the first really well-recorded incident of that happening. And then Jesus himself passed through the waters of baptism. Jesus himself, your Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, went through the waters of baptism. Now, you may have 101 high-minded and, and well, good-sounding reasons why you've not been baptized or don't want to get baptized. It may be that you were sprinkled as a baby, well, that's a good reason, but the truth of the matter is, were you, uh, were you capable of making a mature and honest decision then? If you weren't, well, I would say to you, get baptized. Get baptized. Cross the Jordan with us. Go through the waters from, from death to life, from darkness to light. Go public. Break cover. You will be blessed in all of this. You will be blessed. Our friend Peter said last night, he said he was surprised how emotional it was. Be prepared for the odd tear or two. We're going to try it a slightly different way next Sunday because Canon Andrew White is here on our baptism Sunday. We're actually going to have the baptism bit itself between the two services. So in fact, the whole morning will be like a service. It'll be incredible. So you can bring your family for 9.30, have a worship service, and they'll see you baptized. Or you can, they can come and see you baptized, and you can stay for the worship service. Whatever, whatever works for you. Have a word with Richard afterwards. We can sign you up even now. And we still have faith for a mega baptism at December. Crossing the Jordan, interesting correlation there, something that the New Testament uh, picked up on. So here we have this extraordinary situation where on the day, just like Joshua said should happen, the priests head off with the ark, the people stay about a thousand yards behind because that's what they were told to do. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, we learned about them last week, they, they had promised that they, to Moses that they would go to battle. They were the first behind that. About 40,000 of them, fighting men, already, they kept their promise. They, they were people who didn't really want to follow God into the promised land. They were saying, we don't, please don't make us cross the Jordan. You know, we like it here. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're saying, please don't make us sort of move and make sacrifices. This is really good, you know. Moses got very, very ticked off with them, and the Lord got ticked off with them. But then they said, okay, 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 we'll go. So they made a vow then, and they fulfilled that vow on this day. 
They went, they were the next across, and then the rest followed. But as the priest's foot touched the edge of the, of the water, suddenly all the water backed up. How does this relate to you? Well, in a number of ways, but let me suggest one, which was, I think, the one the Lord wanted me to say. You might be going through some very tough times at the moment. Certainly, I, I myself am facing some challenges. I'm not going to go into that now. Some very, very tough things. But I know I need faith, and I need to exercise what faith I have to believe that God might be at work upstream. You see, all through that long night, the priests were saying to each one another, so what is it we've got to do? We've got to go up front, and then we're going to go to the water's edge, and we've got to, and as our toes touch, the, well, what's, what, what, I mean, what, what, what are we supposed to do on there? You know, wh- wh- where's that going? You know, we've got a nation, you know, Two and a half billion million people behind us backing us up. They'll push us in the water. I mean, what's going to happen then? I don't know. What, do you know? What, did he say? What did he say? He didn't say anything. You know, there were some conversations going on that night amongst the priests because they were going to be going first. They didn't know quite what was going to happen. But God bless them. They took a step of faith and the white blue yonder. And as their toes touched the water's edge, the water backed up. Even got the ge- ge- geography here. And they crossed over on dry land. And I want to say to you, if you're struggling with things, if things are, you know, and you, you can't see a way forward, I want to tell you, I want to say to you, and this is what the, what the Holy Spirit said, be strong, be very courageous, because your God is at work upstream. Got it? Be strong and very courageous because your God is at work upstream. Simple, isn't it? Be strong and very courageous because your God is at work upstream. Wonderful. That's a word in season. That's something that I need to hear. Preach it, Chris, to me. That's what I need to hear. Our God is at work upstream. So, at the end of the day, finally, they were in the promised land. The other side. That day, that day came. There's a little verse in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 13.8, which is almost a life verse. I don't want to own it as such, but the verse goes like this. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but a hope fulfilled is a tree of life. Anybody know that one? I don't know about you, but much of my Christian life has been about hope deferred. It always seems to be tomorrow, 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 and I'm thinking, well, what about today? Anybody identify with that? But somehow we get through the day, and we get through the next day. But every now and then, every now and then, the hope is not deferred. Every now and then, we, we hit a promised land. Our foot arrives where we're meant to be. It's a wonderful moment, and God calls for celebration. Like when we moved into this place, we were just a little nomadic 
tribe of 400 people meeting up at Marlborough. When we came into this place, we used this kind of language. And I remember the first Sunday we were here, it didn't look like this. We didn't have the balcony. It was basically a few chairs scattered around the floor. We had a bit of a stage. But I tell you, we, our mouths were filled with joy. We had worked so hard. We had given so hard. We had, we had prayed so hard. Finally, we had a home of our own. And now, to be honest with you, I'm a little distracted. I'm a bit distracted. I keep, listen, I keep praying, Lord, help us to live in the now, don't we? Help us to live in the now. Enjoy this moment, these people, this, this worship, this, this season. But because of who I am, I guess, and because we're a prophetic people, we are, you know, people talk about us elsewhere. Because people watch what we're doing, pastors are ringing me up and saying, how are you getting on with this growing family campaign, Chris? They're, they're fascinated, you know, because we've done it like once, and now they want to know how we're doing. You know, and I must say, I, I want to share this as family. I, I am anxious. I just flesh in me. I'm anxious. At the moment, the thing that I'm most anxious about, I'd love you to pray about, is that we have heard that the place opposite, you know, Unit 4 has been sold. That bothers me. There's no sold sign-up. There's no evidence of anybody moving around. It's, it's, the deal is going through, so we've been told. But we've been told this kind of thing before. Will you please pray that the land I put my foot on and felt the presence of God in... and Bob and a bunch of us went in there one prayer meeting because we had permission and we prayed. Will you pray that we get that one? You know, the corner one will do. That one will do. And they're coming up much the same. The space, yeah, it will work. And if necessary, we will. But the truth is, I'll be honest with you folks, I've set my heart on it. That's a problem. I want that one. Not that one. I don't want that one at all. It's horrible, that one. I want that one. Please pray with me. And I feel like God's encouraging that. This, for me, is a step of faith. Finances? Well, you know, I came, I said, I was honest with you, I came back last, from my, from my holiday, expecting all sorts of good news, and there's lots of good news. The only thing that wasn't good news was that while we'd been away, only 10,000 pounds had come into the Growing Family campaign. I thought, oh my gosh. That was a, a dark moment for me. But then, then there, there's good days. I had a conversation this last week where uh, one of our people here, a businessman, said, uh, we're going to give you 250,000 pounds. I will repeat that. <laughs> let me, let me say it another way, just in case you didn't catch it. We are going to give you a quarter of a million pounds. Sounds good, doesn't it? Just say it all, let it roll around, say it with me, let it roll around your mouth. A quarter of a million pounds. You know, in all my years of, as a pastor, I've been involved in many capital campaigns, sometimes leading them and sometimes just being part of them. I have never heard, personally, in any ministry I've been connected, of being given a quarter of a million pounds. So that was, that was, a, that was a promised land moment. I was like, whoa! And if you, in case you're asking, we have raised in two months around about 600,000 pounds, including that quarter million. 
With the support of our bank, we've probably got about 1.3 and a half million now. We really, the, the first, I think the first goal should be that we raise another, what is it, 1.3 from 1.3, that's two and a, another, what's 1.3 and a half from 1.6, Ian? Two, another 250,000. That would be a good goal because then we have got the money, our hands on the money, to cover all eventualities for these places. But you see, this now, uh, you know, with this gift, I'm full of joy and excitement. But kind of, part of me, it's perverse, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I always knew God would sort of give us the money, you know, like that. Two weeks I was going, I was thinking, oh my gosh, what have we done? You know, we're all going to die. <laughs> isn't that weird? You know, before the, before the thing comes, I mean, Linda, I'm sorry to embarrass you here, but we blessed you, didn't we, through the give us a tenor thing, and you were at home praying, how am I going to buy beds for my kids? And then we did that, that, that silly little thing we do from time to time, and you all were very generous and gave, gave her a ton of money, and she was able to buy beds for her boys, just moved into a new flat and got beds, you know. Uh, you know, before and after, you know, it's, it's an incredible thing, you know. We have to be careful when God answers prayer, when he when he does the work upstream, so suddenly we find ourselves walking where we never thought it was possible, we've got to be ready to thank him and praise him in a worthy manner. So I don't know about you, but my pleading prayers take up an awful lot more time than my thank you prayers. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh God, please fix that. Please, Lord God, please, 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 help my son, help my daughter. Please, 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 please. Week after week, month after month, then it happens. Oh gosh, thanks God, that was kind of you. <laughs> what? I've got a little goal. I want, to, I want the weight of the prayers, the pleading prayers, to be balanced with the thank you prayers. That seems at least, at least to have some integrity to it. Hopefully, it might be a bit more on the thank you side. So, so to sum up, and let's have the, the, the band back up. This teaching works at all sorts of levels. There's the teaching per se. We learn about God's faithfulness to the Jewish nation, which ultimately, ultimately our, our Savior Jesus Christ was born into. It's good stuff. We learn lessons about God's dealing with humanity, particularly his people. How we may be fearful, we may have a propensity to fearfulness. Joshua, I think, probably had a little streak in his character where he was perfectly capable of running from the building shouting, we're all gonna die. But God said to him three times, be strong. Now watch my lips, Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. And the people said, yeah, listen to him. You be strong and very courageous. Because they'd seen it too. We need to hear that. Why? Be strong and very courageous. Because your God is at work upstream. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.